When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ho, 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 hello, and welcome back to Bar Humbug, the Christmas movie podcast that is so close to having the perfect Christmas. All I need now is an official Red Rider carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and this thing that tells time. And then Christmas will be perfect. I'm your host, Helen O'Hara. Hello. And joining me today is one of the most prolific podcasters, I think, that uh, is, is around right now. He's the host of 90 Minutes or Less. He's the host of the Picture House podcast. And particularly relevant to right now, he is the host of The Holiday Season, the incredibly in-depth dive to Nancy Meyer's holiday classic. He is, of course, Sam Clements. Hello, Sam. How are you doing? Uh, I'm looking for corny in my life. What can I say? You know, it's, it's that time <laughs> of year where um, I'm feeling all festive and yeah, we really get to deep dive into Nancy Myers's classic rom-com, The Holiday. Uh, but I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited. It's the end of the year and it's the best time of the year. Uh, Christmas. All these great Christmas films. Oh my God. All these great Christmas films. Exactly. And it's, um, and yeah, this is uh, an interesting pair that we're going to be talking about today. So we are going to be talking about a Christmas story, which uh, I have touched on a little bit before in this podcast. Um, now, this is a film that is massive historically in the US and pretty much unknown here in the UK. It's a 1983 film from director Bob Clark, one of those guys who had a fascinating, fascinating career because on one hand, uh, he made Black Christmas and Porky's and then he made this incredibly sweet, somewhat sincere Christmas film, A Christmas Story. So it's a, it's a sort of a, it's a broad spectrum career uh, that he had in, in regards to Christmas just on his own. But A Christmas Story has this year had a sequel, which is called A Christmas Story Christmas, which is quite hard to keep in your head, quite frankly. And this one is uh, stars once again. So the child star of the original, Peter Billingsley, has returned as Ralphie, um, who was the 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 kid in the original movie. And he's now growing up. And in the wake of his father's death, old man Parker, he is trying to provide his children with the same kind of great Christmas that he remembers from his own, own childhood. Now, of course, as we know, having recently seen or rewatched in our case, I think, A Christmas Story, his own childhood wasn't always, you know, a bed of roses, <laughs> but he has very fond memories of it. So, so yeah, first of all, Sam, what did you think of A Christmas Story Christmas? Christmas Story Christmas, which is a fun thing to say. <laughs> um, I think, I think, I guess it's, it's funny we're in that like, era of legacy sequels. And like, I don't know if anyone needed a sequel to A Christmas Story, if people were crying out for, for that, especially in the UK, where, as you said before, like the awareness is super low, but this is a really famous film in the US, so popular on television uh, in America. And uh, like, I guess so the, 
the conceit of the first one is that it's it's sort of it was made in the 80s but it's reflecting on christmas in the 40s and yep. now in this sequel it's christmas in the 70s uh, but obviously yes. made in 2022 so the first one i think is totally alien to me where like, i really have no reference for what christmas in the 40s in america may have been like i think with this sequel I think the 70s is something we have seen on screen a bit more. So like I, I sort of was a bit more invested uh, in that. And I, 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 so yeah, I went in with quite low expectations, so it was pleasantly surprised I was a bit more drawn in. And I think also the modern filmmaking has worked really well. Like I think they've done a really good job of making an audience who maybe do not know a Christmas story so well care about the characters in this. And mm. I, I thought it was a really, it sort of caught me off guard. I, I was really affected by this film. I, I had a little tear as I was watching it in one particular scene. I, I, and, and yeah, it delivers. And I, there's, a, there's one joke in particular which made me belly laugh so loud. Um, I had to sort of st- pause the film and, and rewind it and watch it again. <laughs> that's that's a good sign, I think, in a film like this, because the original film, for those who haven't seen it, it is literally a sort of slice of life kind of a thing. It's a series of very loosely connected um, vignettes, really, isn't it? I mean, so it's based on the writings of Gene Shepard, who was uh, a sort of famous kind of American kind of, I guess, raconteur. He was a storyteller. He did a lot of radio reading and things like that. He's actually the narrator of the original A Christmas Story, uh, as well as writing the script for it. And it was kind of semi-autobiographical, I think. But he gave a, a little lilt of irony and a remove, I think, because that was part of his sense of humour. But also he remembered and he portrayed so clearly that feeling of being a kid and being absolutely desperate for this one thing that you have to have that your Christmas entirely depends upon. And that's the sort of, if there's if there's one through line to the original Christmas story, isn't it? It's, it's will Ralphie get this BB gun for mm. Christmas? And what every every single person, every adult in his life tells him about this BB gun for Christmas. Absolutely. You'll put your eye out. (laughs) I think the... um yeah, like the big thing is um, is to sort of voiceover in both of the films um, mm. delivered in both cases by Ralphie Young and, and now a bit older. But it's sort of like this sort of like weird, like especially in the first one, you know, like sort of reflecting on his sort of childhood and like, you know, quite grown up words for a child sort of there. But it, it, it's really interesting that sort of like inner monologue and, and it sort of just adds an extra layer to the scenes and helps with gags as well, you know, like reacting mm. to stuff we see on screen through voiceover. Uh, so we're very much sort of in the head of a character reflecting on 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 this sort of particular Christmas. Yes, and sometimes giving things a bit of an epic spin, isn't he, when it's the most minor thing in the world. Mm. Oh yeah, like there's a lot of, you know, like very trivial things, but the, the, the humour is so heightened by, you know, that is the one thing you should never ask a child and, and all of this sort of business, uh, which really works. It's quite... um Maybe I don't know if it's like just because it's Bob Clark and and it's the eighties and and you know, he he's sort of a bit out there as a as a filmmaker plays he's quite loose with the form um, you know there's lots of like transitions and like crash zooms and and, and wipes and and stuff and and things are often played out like a sketch like this is a sketch mm. of putting up the tree and it'll be five minutes long and blah, blah, blah. but it, it it sort of works it keeps it fresh I didn't find the first one super funny really I always thought it was a bit weird and it was kind of like a gross Christmas film like there's lots of <laughs> scenes of like children are eating with their mouths open and you know it's a bit like rough around the edges and I don't know if that's me or if it's the film but it, it didn't really sort of translate and but in the in the sequel I think they do all of that stuff still but do it so much better and I didn't find the, the new one like was kind of super gross <laughs> good I think yes yeah I think it's 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 a strange it's a strange and kind of almost unique sort of 
tone that this one has, especially among Christmas films, which tend to the very sincere or the very broad, it, it does tread this particular road. And I think you're right, the new one does manage to recapture some of that. So it does still take some of, I think, Gene Shepard's words and certainly a lot of his tone. Um, he's sadly no longer with us. And it does, you know, it basically it's it's co-written, I think, and still stars Peter Billingsley, who was, of course, the child, Ralphie, in the first one. And he's clearly lived with this his whole life, like for, for what, nearly 40 years now, he's had people, I'm sure, coming up to him and wanting to talk about a Christmas story all year round. He still kind of looks like little Ralphie, like he has not, you know, he's, the hair is a bit darker. He's obviously gotten a bit taller, but he still looks like Ralphie. And so it feels like he is someone who has kind of marinated himself in this and and who has brought the ability to find a Christmas story-y story for this new sequel. So he's a struggling writer. Um, His father dies and his mother, who is the main recast person in this. Uh, All of his friends are played by the original actors, which I thought was incredibly charming touch. But um, his mum was originally played by Melinda Dillon, of course, of of, uh, Close Encounters fame. And she sadly has retired. So um, Julie Haggerty of Airplane fame has stepped in as his mum this time. But otherwise, you know, it really does feel almost like a family affair. It feels like getting the gang back together just to kind of kid around a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. Like a lot of the actors, and you know, often child actors don't carry on to grow up to be actors. There are famous exceptions to that. But a lot of the actors from the original sort of 1983 film, they don't, they haven't done a, a bunch. You know, some of them carried on doing some child acting and 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 then sort of stopped, or you know, maybe they they just sort of left the profession entirely. But like pretty much all of them featured children have come back as grown-ups and it's really nice to see especially like I watched these two quite close together so that was sort of nice but the film if you just watched the the new film they do sort of have a little flashback for most people I think which shows them Mm. in the original movie and I don't think it's like sort of super plot essential to have seen the original. I think it will work if you just wanted to put this new one on, on its own. Yeah, I think that's true. I think I think it kind of, it, it is all there. And there are some, you know, very deep cuts if you are a fan of the original movie. Uh, there are little kind of throwaway lines and, and sort of lifting lifting jokes and, and lifting references from the original. But but yeah, you, you don't have to have seen it. This is a, an entirely new story, essentially about a, you know, a man who's struggling a bit in his career, takes his family home for Christmas and... Uh, but what I loved about the running joke in this is he's determined that his family has the perfect Christmas and that everything goes well. And all three of his family end up injured. So there's broken limbs. There's a, a sort of an eye almost put out, which I assume is a is a nod to the original as well. It You know, there's definitely a sort of dramatic irony, let's say, in the attempt to make a perfect Christmas. It's quite funny. Yeah, like, you know, spoiler alert, but towards the end, Christmas does happen and the family are all around the dinner table in like various casts and eye patches and and <laughs> stuff. And uh, Ralphie's absolutely, you know, fine, albeit having been on an emotional uh, journey. <laughs> yeah, very much. And I think, I think what's nice about both films, actually, and what sometimes gets overlooked for its dramatic potential, and I genuinely think there should be more Christmas films about this particular thing, the pressure that so many people feel to make Christmas perfect, to make Christmas special. And, you know, if you are busy, as many of us are, especially this time of year, if you are, you know, not well off, uh, as many of us aren't at the moment, if you are just struggling in any way with, with grief, with loss, with illness, with whatever, 
that can be a major, major challenge. And almost no Christmas films really, truly get to grips with that. I mean, yes, there'll be, you know, lip service to, oh, you know, your mum died. It's always the mum. Your mum died. Oh, no. But there won't be a sort of, how are we going to make Christmas happen this year? I mean, you could make a case for National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, maybe. But generally speaking, I feel like this whole area of dramatic possibility is is sort of overlooked. I, I agree. I was sort of thinking about this as you're talking, and the only thing that comes to mind is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, where it's the dad, especially, who's very keen to drive in an excessive way that sort of perfect Christmas, quote-unquote. And it is quite a fun sort of thing, because like, you know, usually the person is sort of a little bit inept, out of their depth, but they've got this perfect ideal, which they can't quite, you know, realise, and they find the true meaning of Christmas along the way. Classic story <laughs> arc. What I like about this film is, like, you're right, they talk about the hardships. They, they very clearly, uh, so this film, Ralphie has taken a year out of work because he wants to become a writer, and they've agreed he's got a year to become a published author, otherwise he'll go back to, you know, back to his day job, as it were. So like they're already like they set up the stakes. The family are living on a particular budget, and they've worked up they can afford to do that for one year only. And they have a Christmas fund, and they have a really great Christmas shopping scene in this film as well, mm, uh, which yeah. I, I really enjoyed. But alas, doesn't all go to plan, and 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 they they lose the gifts. And now you you see the hardship. They've literally talked to us about how limited money is, and and how they've somehow managed to buy all the things they need to buy and, and then they're not there anymore. So like you're, you're sort of like, you know, you're, you're along for the ride uh, there. And, and uh, I think they, they handle this in like a really nice, it's still comedic, but you, you know what's at stake the whole time. So I think you're invested dramatically. Mm. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, there is, there has to be a little bit of drama here, you know, and even in the first film, I think with, with Ralphie's quest to get his ridiculous BB gun, uh, I feel like you could invest in that because there's always something that one of us wanted. You know, it was maybe the, it was maybe the, you know, the top of the line My Little Pony toy that you knew, kind of knew your parents didn't have room for or money for, but you really kind of wanted, but you, you maybe talked yourself down to the smaller stable. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm sure that's, that's your experience too, Sam. Um, but <laughs> But the result, you know, there, there are these things that obsess you as a kid. And also what I loved in the original as well. And, and what you see a little bit of here, although not too much, was Ralphie's daydreaming. So, you know, when he, he writes an essay for his teacher about how much he wants this gun for Christmas. And he just has visions of basically, you know, this this is going to change everybody's life. Like he, she is going to love this so much. This is the best thing he or anyone has ever written. It's pretty much up there with Shakespeare. And... um. And he turns it in and, well, things don't go according to plan. Um, I, I love that there is a little bit of a callback to that in this one, that he's he imagines himself basically winning a prize for his 2,000-page science fiction novel that he has laboured over uh, with, wasn't it? Isaac Asimov, Frank Herbert, and Anne McCaffrey. Yes, <laughs> just just standing there cheering him on because they thought they all voted for him as well. You know, as the as his fellow nominees, it, it's it is kind of glorious because we do all have these little daydreams, don't we? You know, the actor who dreams about winning an Oscar, the person who has never acted who daydreams about winning an Oscar. 
it's all very relatable. I think, yeah, the, um, it sort of it carries on that sort of like using the voiceover in like Ralphie's in a monologue as a, as a key sort of storytelling device. So yeah, we often hear the voiceover. We sometimes go into his head and sort of see what he's imagining. Uh, but I do really love that writing scene. And like, it's just funny to have him in a lineup with like Frank Herbert and other like big 70s uh, <laughs> names in, in, in sci-fi. And I can't remember what his book's called. It's like Neptune Rising or ne- something like that. It's, it's, uh, it's Neptune something because it wasn't definitely wasn't Jupiter as something wasn't it? He, yeah. he corrects the publisher on that. <laughs> and even that title sort of taps into that like 70s sort of sci-fi vibe. Like that was just like, just like a little tiny thing, but like it feels authentic. Like you can tell he's yeah. reading Herbert, etc. And he wants to do his own, his own thing. And he just hasn't, hasn't learned how to edit at all, <laughs> you know, even slightly. Is it a 2000 um, page manuscript or something he's handing in? <laughs> And he's writing the sequel already and like he's getting way too ahead of himself. You know, he's so ambitious, this guy, but but um, but um, and eager to please. But he's sort of failing at the dad stuff. I also think actually in that first scene where they talk about the budget, he's so wrapped up in his writing, he's forgot to go grocery shopping and he sort of tries to convince the kids to have orange juice on their cornflakes or you know, whatever uh, it, it is there. And, and that's like another sort of like thing that I think carries over from the first film, like just kind of mm-hmm. like gross food pairings. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, very, very much so. Um, and, and as you say, gross eating scenes sometimes as well. So in this one, um, because his father has recently died, basically everyone in town has given his mother a casserole. And, and, and you know, I hear casserole, I think, oh, that sounds delicious. None of these look or sound edible. You know, they all sound absolutely grotesque. So you, you've still got a little bit of that kind of food horror, I suppose, from the fr- first film. One of them is a mayonnaise and ketchup casserole. <laughs> oof, oof. We may need to take a moment while I just compose myself. <laughs> Hello, I'm Kate Lever, host of Who's a Good Dog, the podcast for anyone who's ever loved a dog. We're one of the other podcasts in the Stripped Media family. Each episode, I ask a brilliant person to introduce me to their dog and tell me how having a dog has changed their life. Listen to Who's a Good Dog wherever you get your podcasts. When he sort of goes back to the old town... I just sort of love how the community is still around him as well. Like, and I think that's the thing for Christmas films. Like, yeah, I guess Wonderful Life, It's Wonderful Life is the most famous sort of one, but like everybody knows everybody's name and he goes into the bar and his old school friend who we see in the first film is now the bar owner and all that sort of stuff, you know, and I think they, they do such a good job of weaving that sort of like legacy sweet sequel sort of like trope in, but without mm. it feeling too cumbersome. And, yes. and I don't know, maybe it gets a bit of a, like a, a more generous pass because it's a Christmas film and, you know, those are sort of usually a bit more of like a, a, a novelty anyway. But um, I think it's done it's done really well, like with some actual sort of thought and craft there. And, and they, yeah, I don't know, I found the whole thing sort of quite a winning uh, experience. <laughs> I, I, I find the same. And I'll be honest, now you said at the start you weren't sure that this story ever needed a sequel. The funny thing is it's part of a bit of a cinematic franchise. It's a bit of a Parker cinematic universe, if you will. So before A Christmas Story came out, there had already been two stories based on these these, these tales by uh, Gene Shepard. So The Phantom of the Open Hearth in 1976, which was made for TV, and then The Great American Fourth of July and Other Disasters which were sort of mixed reaction and then positive reaction, respectively. Um, and and that, that second one is probably why Christmas Story got made the following year. 
But they did then keep trying to recapture that lightning in a bottle, especially as the time went on and it became a sort of established Christmas favourite for the US. So in 1985, there was the star-crossed romance of Josephine Kosnowski. And in 1988, Ollie Hopnoodle's Haven of Bliss, which has got to go down as one of the all-time great titles of anything. Um, (laughs) Yeah, those those two got okay positive reactions. They were both made for TV. The real problems came later. So uh, something that was released as My Summer Story got a little bit of an okay reaction back in 1994, but A Christmas Story 2 actually came out in 2012 and was famously a disaster. It was absolutely, I think, hated by most people who saw it. And, you know, there were good people involved in making it. It's not that they didn't have any decent cast. They had people like Daniel Stern involved as the old man. So, you know, he's he's good with a Christmas movie. He, he We've seen that in Home Alone. But it really, um, it really seemed to anger the fans. So, so I feel like this one had it all to play for, really going in and, and trying to convince anybody that we still needed to see anything of this world and Ralphie and the Parkers. That's wild. I didn't realize that there were so many sort of Christmas story or Ralphie Parker kind of spin-offs. Uh, that's amazing. I need to check out the uh, at least a trailer for Christmas Story too uh, after this <laughs> to to sort of indulge. But um Peter Billingsley sort of had a similar thing where he is kind of like a lucky mascot to a lot of filmmakers making Christmas films. Say hey, I think he's he sort of pops up in things like Elf and mm-hmm. and uh you know other other sort of films like that and he's he's actually like produced quite a lot of Christmas films uh, as well. So like he's kind of I don't know like I guess Christmas is whether it's his thing by choice or or it's just where the industry has <laughs> shoehorned him. But um, he produced Christmas with the Campbells and I think he's produced a couple of other Christmases. Oh, it was involved with Four Christmases, the uh, the Vince Vaughn oh, Christmas yes. movie. So it's just kind of interesting that he sort of kept a toe in there, but he's also just had like very small acting roles. Uh, he hasn't had a major acting career, I don't think, but he has popped up in stuff. He's in Four Christmases, he's in Elf, you know, and I, I just imagine like John Favreau being a fan of Christmas Story and asking him to come and, you know, sort of play an elf or something uh, for yes. one scene. <laughs> I think that was exactly it. Isn't he the one who's um, who's worried about keeping up with uh, production? Yes, I think he uh, wears an elf, elf you know. with like blonde hair and glasses, like giving him a bit yeah. of a Ralphie uh, Parker kind of look <laughs> uh, there. But, uh, but that's kind of amazing. Like, so yeah, I think he's like a bit of a cottage industry on, mm. on championing Christmas and doing Ralphie-like characters. But um, great performance from him as well. I feel like that's good. R- Ralphie would want that, wouldn't it? I mean, if Ralphie had the option of, for example, being a producer on an Iron Man film, which I mean, Peter Billingsley has done, I feel like Ralphie would not hesitate. You, Quite the opposite, you do it. You just do it. Um, <laughs> I, I wonder if that was like after his work on Elf, if Favreau is like, yeah, come on, we're doing Iron Man next. <laughs> Ralphie. <laughs> Actually, yeah, he, he worked he worked with Favreau quite a bit. He was also in Zathura. Oh, amazing. Um, wow. So, you know, it's, yeah, that would make sense. But yeah, it, I mean, it's good, I think, to see a former child actor living the life, you know, still involved in the industry, still clearly, I think, having a good time in it. Um, and even then, after all this time, being able to, to revisit, if you like, his greatest hit as an actor and, and bring something fresh to it. And like being also just like being good, like it's not guaranteed that if you're a good child actor that you'll be a good adult actor. But I think he really he's he's carrying the film in in here, and uh, he's he's got such a he's like he's got a good look. He can do the slapstick stuff really well. He can deliver the voiceover because he didn't 
it was Gene Shepard, I think, did the voiceover in the original, yes. like the actual author. Um, yes. So he sort of steps into the Gene Shepard role of delivering the sort of inner monologue. And, and you know, he can do that sort of, you know, like inner monologue line reading so well. Um, I just found his voice really reassuring, <laughs> like really like deep and husky, you know, um, but he can still be a goofball. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. No, it, I, I just think I, I didn't know what to expect from this. And look, it is very gentle. And I think if anything, it probably has less of a through line at times than the original film did. And it barely had a through line. Very much, as I say, a series of scenes and here are some things that happened. And this sometimes feels even looser, even though there is, yes, the countdown to Christmas and oh, can we make it perfect for the kids? But it's not like it's a sort of you know, a checklist that they're going through and ticking off successfully. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have a kind of countdown element to it. So it's a sort of a very kind of easygoing, laid back affair. And you do have to kind of tune into that. You know, if you're used to, you know, a, a slightly live, livelier kind of film, I think it, it does take a minute to almost get your brain to slow down to these films' pace. Yes. Yeah. It does have that sort of like old school filmmaking technique about it. And, the joy of a Christmas song, I think, is something that you could put on the telly over the holidays where you can, you know, happily do a couple of films on an afternoon. And this would be such a nice afternoon watch, you know, and and yeah, it just sort of like welcomes you in. Like I I, I really, I, I didn't, I, I rewatched the first one for the podcast and I, I was like, oh, I don't really know if I'll need a sequel to this. It sort of turned me off. I think I liked the first one less after my rewatch, but then this one drawed me back, drew me back in. Um so yeah, there's there's testament to the filmmaking here, and and I guess we should, you know, sort of shout out the director uh, as well, who's also got previous Christmas film form, Clay Catus, um, who uh, who did the Sexy Santa film a couple of years ago, uh, a Christmas Wait, which Chronicles. Which Sexy Santa film? Because now there's quite a few. Uh, so the Christmas Chronicles with uh, uh, yes. Kurt Russell. I think that was Clay Catus's previous credit. Um, before then, had worked on things like the Angry Birds movie. So he went from Sexy Santa to uh, a not very sexy. Uh, Santa in a Christmas story um, because there is a there is a Santa and we learn he is the real Santa according to the uh, ch children's test uh, in the sequel. <laughs> yeah, that was a very charming scene. I think both both films actually have a great visiting Santa scene. Um, by the way, if anybody reads Humans of New York on on Instagram, there's also been a great department store Santa featured there. But but I think that the the Santa scenes in these two films are pretty much unimprovable. So in this one, the you know. Uh, Ralphie's daughter basically quizzing Santa to make sure he's the right one, and in in the in the previous film, Ralphie going to see Santa and then being so paralysed by his deep and abiding wish for this for this air rifle that he basically freezes up and can't even speak. I mean, they're they're just wonderful, and I think it's that level of kind of specificity that that really makes these films seen. I mean, what did you think of the balance of kind of slapstick and? And that kind of reference humor uh, in this film, I didn't. So I, I, I thought the slapstick was done really well, um, and there's a couple of like good wins in in that respect. There's a snowball fight scene uh, after a few drinks in the department store, normal, um, <laughs> where uh, Ralphie accidentally hits his very small daughter with a snowball <laughs> and has to take her to hospital. And the timing, the setup, like that was a perfect that sixty second scene of like them doing all of that stuff is perfect like it's perfect slapstick and it made me laugh that's the scene that made me laugh so hard i had to stop the film and go back and rewatch it and I, I my wife was in another room and i was like you just need to watch this one sequence 
uh, and she also did a big like that, that is perfect and there's a few examples of that you know where like the comedy is just really well set up it's not like mm-hmm. a laugh out loud film throughout for its whole like 100 minute runtime but um but there's enough in there to sort of keep a smile on your face i think the references at the end of the film in the credits there are yeah. like photos side by side just maybe a nice touch but I think that depends on your reverence for the first film and maybe mileage could vary uh, <laughs> on that. Um, I guess it hi- helped highlight, even though I'd only just watched the first one, it sort of helped highlight some links which I didn't quite notice on my my watch. I think that's like, that's fine. It's like you can take or leave the references for me, but um, but uh, but it was, I just thought the nicest touch was getting the original cast back in, in all of the adult roles in the in, in the, uh, yeah. the town. Like, who does that? Do you know what I mean? I, I was genuinely astonished. Um, and, you know, like you say, some of them have had more of an acting role than others. Zach, Zach Ward, who plays the former bully, Scott Farkas, um, he's in stuff. You'll, you see his face and you're like, oh yeah, I've seen, you're in stuff. I know you. But I think Artie Robert Schwartz, um, you know, maybe a bit less so. And, uh, and was it Yano Anaya as Grover again? I haven't seen very much, but I just thought it was, it was really, it was really nice that they made the effort, you know, and that, that it, that it did feel like a bit of a class reunion. I quite enjoyed also the uh, sledding scene where a bunch oh, of adults yes. oh, attempt, that was so good. <laughs> attempt to go down a hill and, um, and you realise why we leave that to children most of the time, because it, it tends to end very badly. Yeah. Drunk adults from the pub trying to do sledding. <laughs> uh, that was a really good sequence. I really, I really liked that. It's like really well observed and there's like plenty of gags. Also, I think, I think it's an 80s film thing. I think films these days are a bit more sort of polished, but um, like when people fall over, it feels like they do get hurt, um, <laughs> you know? And, and it's like in Home Alone, for example, like, you know, you feel the pain that the, the guys breaking in are going through. And, mm. and I think it's the same in this film and, and in the original, like you sort of feel, you know, how messy it can be just being a human, you know, being yeah. being bullied or falling over or, or, or doing whatever you do. Uh, there, I uh, I really, yeah, I, I sort of like that, you know, it felt a bit lived in. <laughs> it did. And and if you're one of the people who fell over the last few days uh, here in the UK, it's been snowing and icy, um, sympathies to you, but at least you are upholding a fine old tradition, I guess, of, well, frankly, pratfalls on ice, um, <laughs> as shown in both these movies. Um, I also love the fact, and I feel like this might not fly if they did another sequel in 30 years, is in almost every scene, uh, the adults seem to be drinking, um, their way through Christmas. And uh, again, I just don't think you see that a lot in modern Christmas movies. No, it really does go for, um, yeah, a lot of the, I guess, the sort of vices of being a grown up uh, there. But there's so much, there's quite a few sort of like, you know, big drinking scenes, which is, you know, maybe true of the Christmas season. Um, there, there's, um, and some of them are like, you know, quite stereotypical, like the, the bar they go to is a bit of a dive bar and it's all men pretty much mm-hmm. um and they'd even do the thing the simpsons do in most tavern where you know they phone someone phones up and it's it's a family member looking for a, a person and they say the guy's name and everybody in the bar is quiet you know like the stuff like, it's kind of like they do it in such a charming way you don't mind that you've seen it before or mm-hmm. that maybe it's a little bit old-fashioned very much so yeah and, and the fact just the mother and grandmother pretty much have a wine glass in their hand the whole second half of the movie yeah <laughs> so you know i guess fair play whatever you take to get through christmas i guess um, i'm not saying it's a, a a wonderful example but it is probably quite true to life i really liked um actually one of the new characters in this is uh is ralphie's wife who's a new sort of i guess cast member into the uh christmas story uh franchise um i thought she was perfect she sort of fits in perfectly with the the tone and the acting style uh of the films 
Erin Hayes plays Sandy Parker, who's who's Ralphie's wife, and like they're a really good like they got a really good dynamic together. They feel like a proper team, and yeah. you know, they're, 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 there's a, a grandparent to look after, and there's children to look after, and and you know, they're sort of on the same page. Uh, there's a scene where Ralphie needs to come up with a plan for Christmas, so he goes to the pub and he writes all of his ideas drunkenly on a napkin. And there's quite a charming <laughs> scene of him hung over in bed, and, and she's reading them out to him. And like that, that's such a good like that says so much about their relationship. And I thought her performance was great. I don't know if I know Erin Hayes. Uh, like she's got no, credits, but you would have seen her in uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music, I guess. I'm, I'm sure oh, you probably yeah. saw that. Uh, but uh, but she's done a lot of American TV, I think, for the most part. So she's she's out there. She's she's you know she's a proper actress. <laughs> she's got a fair amount going on. But yeah, she's not um, maybe a household name over here in the same way that you know Peter Billingsley isn't. I also just love seeing Julie Haggerty in anything. I, I feel like she was so so great in Airplane. Mm. So anytime. She she comes up first of all i have lovely warm feelings about airplane that come come back but also she just has that very gentle kind of reserved very sweet energy and then anything she says becomes funnier because of that you know she i think is a, is a bit of a comedy genius she was in marriage story wasn't she a couple of years ago which was unlikely casting i thought but worked perfectly yeah. and and yeah anytime she she turns up frankly i think you're in for a good time I think yeah, she totally. She's got a really good um, sort of ongoing gag, which is uh, the carolers and her sort of phobia of carolers, and uh, and there's a great sort of overreaction scene. A lot of the humour comes from people overreacting to very day to day sort of things. But um, turn all the lights off, you know, duck behind the windows. Um, the carolers are coming, and uh, and that scene is sort of like that's one of her big moments. It's yeah. so good. But yeah, she's a. What a what a champion uh, actor and and weirdly I think we covered one of her previous Christmas films on this podcast last time I was a guest Noel that's right yes <laughs> so she's got form in a Christmas movie too she has this is it it's all all coming back to Christmas well done well done Julie and and look I mean uh, and I also think by the way she's she's a good fit for sort of Melinda Dillon's energy in the first film you know she was also very sweet very kind apart from when she was washing Ralphie's mouth out with soap and, <laughs> and and slightly worried, you know, had that slightly anxious air. And I think I think Julie Hegarty matches that very well. Melinda Dillon, of course, sadly now retired. And um, and the old man himself, uh, Mr. Parker, who was played by Darren McGavin, he sadly left us a few years ago. So um, it, it was nice that the, the film becomes a bit of a tribute to him and becomes a little bit of a, um, you know, the character is still so present in everyone's me- memories. So so yeah so that's a that's a thumbs up on a Christmas story Christmas then yeah, it's like the legacy sequel we didn't know we needed or deserved. And um, they really knocked it out of the park. Like, I think it's a really nice, like, filmmaking team. So good as well to see, like, Peter Billingsley, like, has embraced his childhood role. And a lot of child actors, like, they don't want to talk about that one. You know, that thing they did uh, now. But, you know, he's he's made a success of this. You know, he's so involved in this film um, and delivered such a nice performance. But, yeah, it's just a great Christmas film. And like, I don't know if it might be heresy, but I think I, I just prefer this new one to the original <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, um, look, if the uh, if the axe wielding, um, you know, f- uh, flame wielding hordes want to come after you, Sam, for that opinion, where can they find you online? What's, where should they look you up? 
Wait, that sounded wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Send all hate mail and or, you know, nice messages to uh, to me on, on Twitter at Sam underscore Clements. Uh, and you can find our podcasts wherever you're listening to this, the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest and the Holiday Season uh, and the Love of Cinema, the podcast we do for Picturehouse Cinemas. Um, my voice is on the internet a, a fair bit. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but it's been really nice to actually talk about this film, which I don't think has had a proper rollout in the UK at least and and it is sort of hiding on streaming services um, but it's well worth your time this holiday season if you're looking for you know for something pleasant to watch in the run-up to Christmas and you know you'll you'll find it charming it's a it's a good time you will laugh out loud at least a couple of times yeah absolutely it is for those who are looking for it on now tv and sky as far as i can tell uh, i i haven't managed to find it on all the other streaming services yet but it may well be there by the time you listen to this so that was a christmas story and a christmas story christmas try saying that three times fast thank you very much to my guest sam clements and merry christmas merry christmas folks Well, that's it for this episode of Bah Humbug. Please join us next time for more Christmas movies madness. In the meantime, I've been your host, Helen O'Hara. This podcast is edited by Ben Williams and produced by Kobe Omanaka for Stripped Media. And if you've enjoyed the pod, please do rate us with five shiny Christmas stars wherever you listen to your podcasts. But whatever you do, happy holidays! just heard a stripped media production. 